The Rural Health Voice, Episode 88, Nurse Anesthesiology. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What is a CRNA? Dr. Johanna Newman of Mary Baldwin University joined me to discuss their new nurse anesthesiology program. So welcome, Dr. Newman. Thank you very much for having me today. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. So let's go back and, and think about how you got started. How did you first become interested in healthcare? Well, I come from a family of nurses, um, and I am, my background is, uh, or my cultural background is from Puerto Rico, and um, all of my family members, um, all my family members that are nurses live in Puerto Rico, and so growing up, I would go spend summers there, and one of my aunts would bring me to the hospital where she worked um, to kind of show me around and so in that experience, I became very interested in healthcare and kind of wanted to follow in the steps of my aunts and, and became a nurse. Great. And why did you pick nurse anesthesiology as your focus area? So um, I became a nurse. Um, and uh, after I got my bachelor's of science in nursing, I started working in a critical care unit. Um, while I was in nursing school, I was very interested in working in critical care because I really enjoyed the high acuity of the patients and kind of the higher level critical thinking. And I just thought it was really fun. Um, not that it's fun to take care of sick patients, but it was fun to work in an environment where I had to continually think and figure out why the patients were the way they were and how I was going to help best help them. And so while I was in the critical care unit working in New Jersey, um, I had a nurse anesthetist bring me a post-surgical patient. And uh, when she introduced herself as a nurse anesthetist, I kind of, I asked her, I said, you know, who are you and who is a nurse anesthetist? I had never heard of that before. And she was so happy to share with me what she did. Um, and so in that process, she invited me to the operating room to watch her. So I got to watch um, an open heart surgery where she, the nurse anesthetist was providing the anesthesia services. And it was quite interesting. I actually got a little lightheaded when I was in there watching it for the first time. Um, but that when I watched her and what she did in the LR, I said, oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. I want to be in the operating room. Um, and it allowed me to expand on my critical care skills and move those into the operating room. So going back to what she explained to you, what is a nurse, a nurse anesthetist? So nurse anesthetists are advanced practice nurses um, who provide anesthesia services to patients in the United States. Um, we've actually been providing anesthesia to patients in the U.S. for over 150 years. Many people don't know that we were actually the first anesthesia providers in the U.S. Um, and uh, we administer over 50 million anesthetics a year. Um, and we were actually uh, the providers of anesthesia services to our soldiers during the Civil War. So we have a very, very long standing history of providing 
anesthesia services to patients in this country. Okay. And why did Mary Baldwin University decide to add a nurse anesthetist program to their academic offerings? Well, we all know that we are currently in the midst of a crisis in nursing. Uh, we are in a crisis of a huge shortage and a crisis in nurses in this country. And I think that it actually got expounded during COVID-19. Um, and with that, we also have a crisis in this country in providing or having uh, highly qualified anesthesia providers. And so one of the things, especially in rural hospitals or rural areas, and so Mary Baldwin University recognized the need to add a program in which they can meet the needs of the community and also of healthcare. And so they started the nurse anesthesiology program. You know, one of the interesting things about nurse anesthetists is that we actually provide 80% of the anesthesia services in rural communities across the United States. So if you're in a rural hospital, um, especially a critical access hospital, um, most likely the anesthesia services provided are it's, is by a nurse anesthetist. And so being that Mary Baldwin University is located in a more rural part of Virginia, they uh, wanted to basically fill that need um, of the community itself um, and also in, in healthcare. And you were the founding director of the program. What all had to happen before you could start recruiting students? So getting the program accredited is a very, very long and arduous process. Um, we have to actually, there are the Council on Accreditation um, of Nurse Anesthesia Educational Programs is who accredits the program. And we cannot admit students until we receive full accreditation. And that process is over, uh, takes over about a year. And that process requires a capability review where the Council on Accreditation reviews the university to ensure that they have the capacity and the resources in order to start the program. Once the COA says yes, the, you've passed the capability review, it's capable of, of sustaining this program, then there is a self-study that is written. And part of that self-study is creating a curriculum um, developing policies, and then having enough clinical sites. Um, our clinical sites are our hospital facilities where the students will uh, practice, right? They, are, they go to clinical and they provide anesthesia services. So they learn how to give anesthesia. So we need to have enough clinical sites um, in order to sustain the program, the students, and for order for the students to get the clinical experiences they need to graduate as highly qualified and safe providers. We've been very, very lucky um, that in the location that we are at, we have a lot of support from all of our clinical sites. They are so excited that Mary Baldwin University has started this program because there's such a need for anesthesia providers in this area. Um, one of our main clinical sites is UVA, uh, medical center. A lot of our students will be going there as a primary clinical site, and they were so supportive and so excited to have, have us here 
Um, we also have partnered with Sentara. Um, we have a critical access hospital, which is Carilion uh, Rockbridge, um, which is considered a critical access hospital in a more rural part of Virginia. So we've been able to actually gain about 20, 29 clinical sites, our hospital facilities that are going to be training our students. What do prospective students need to consider before applying to the CRNA program at Mary Baldwin? So um, our students obviously are registered nurses. Um, and I always say that because uh, in our title is we're certified registered nurse anesthetist. So you have to be a registered nurse. Um, you have to have, be a critical care nurse. Um, and so these are nurses who work in intensive care units across the U.S. and they have to gain um, a minimum of one year of critical care experience full-time. Um, they must have a baccalaureate degree in nursing. Um, and also, they also have to have uh, specific prerequisite courses um, in the sciences, pharmacology, chemistry, microbiology, um, in order to be admitted into a nurse anesthesia program. And many rural communities have a shortage of all types of health professions. Is there a particular need for CRNAs? Well, there is. And uh, many of the hospitals um, in rural counties, um, if the nurse anesthetists were not providing services to those communities, there may not be uh, an anesthesia provider, and it's and it's just because there's such a shortage of um, anesthesia providers. And I, when I say anesthesia providers, I mean anesthesiologist and nurse anesthetist. And so they rely heavily on nurse anesthetists to provide those services. Um, you know, if you talk about a hospital in rural America, you know, patients sometimes have to drive over seventy-five miles to to be able to access a major medical center. So these rural these rural hospitals in these rural communities are very, very important um, in providing those healthcare services that are really needed. Another interesting thing is half of the US rural hospitals, um, CRNAs provide all of the obstetric care to patients. And so CRNAs do play a really big role in these hospitals and in, in helping to uh, deliver, well, we don't help deliver babies, but we are there to provide pain relief and take care of those patients um, uh, who are, uh, who are, uh, excuse me, who are, you know, to those mothers who are um, having um, babies. And, uh, and then also a lot of the pain services that are provided in these facilities, um, if CRNAs were not at these hospitals, then those services would not be there. So we do play a critical role, especially in rural hospitals across the country, in ensuring that patients um, are provided these services. Is the Murphy Demi College of Health Sciences at Mary Baldwin doing anything in particular to recruit students from rural communities? So we are. Um, 
by the fact that we are in rural Virginia, a rural part of Virginia um, has actually attracted a lot of our local students. And many of these students are going to stay in this area. And so a large majority of our first class, which we just admitted our very first cohort this fall of 25 students, a large majority of those students are local students who live in, in, in this part of Virginia. And many of them have roots in this part of the state and will stay here. And that is one of the things that Mary Baldwin, um, one of the goals of Mary Baldwin is to recruit local students to our program that are going to stay in the community and serve the current community. So in terms of being able to attend the program, is this a, an in-person program? Is it virtual? How are you working that out? So our program is hybrid, um, and what we call, what a hybrid program is, is that some of the courses are offered online, and then some of them are offered in person. Um, and so our students in the first year, um, their courses are online. Um, we have synchronous and asynchronous courses. Synchronous courses are courses in which students log on live and have live class, um, over the internet and I think that kind of became a thing during COVID when many universities had to convert to online teaching and then some of them are asynchronous in which the students never log on to a computer but all communication coursework is done 100% online. And then in year two our students are on campus. A large portion of our program is learning um, a lot of the anesthesia skills that we uh, have to give our, or have to learn to provide safe anesthesia care. And so those skills are learned in our simulation lab. Um, Mary, Mary Baldwin University uh, has invested in uh, building us and constructing a simulated operating room at Murphy Deming. And so our students will be on campus in year two um, for an entire year learning how to learning how to give anesthesia, how to administer anesthesia to patients um, in our simulation lab. And that also includes, we have a high fidelity simulator, um, which acts and behaves just like a real person. Um, and on this simulator, high fidelity simulator, the students will learn how to do many of the things that we do, such as intubate, uh, give medications, ensure that the patient is safe, ensure that the patient is anesthetized. Um, and this actually is a great thing because they learn how to do these skills before they go touch live patients. And so in year two, they are on campus. And then in year three, they immerse themselves in 100% clinical and online courses. Um, our students are in clinical full-time. This is a full-time program. Our students are not really able to work um, because they are providing clinical to patients, or they are in clinical providing anesthesia services to patients uh, 40 hours a week. Now, you mentioned the sim lab, and, and for any listeners who aren't familiar, those are simulation labs where you have, uh, how would you refer to it, robot patients? Uh, uh, yeah. They're, 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 they're sort of like the CPR dummies on, on a very high-tech level. Oh, yeah. These are very high-tech um, simulators. So simulation lab is a simulated environment um, that looks just like a real operating room. So we have real anesthesia machines, operating room lights, an OR table, and yes, a high fidelity simulator. And these are like robots. They can speak. 
Um, they blink their eyes, they can cry, they bleed. Um, we can start uh, IVs. Um, we can give them medications. Um, they react to all of our actions and our medications. Um, and so it's, it's like taking care of a real patient except it's a robot. And we can't really hurt the robot. So it's a really great learning tool. So how realistic do you feel it experiences? Um, it's actually pretty realistic. Um, studies have shown that uh, learning in a simulated environment um, provides and affords the student um, a pretty realistic experience. So they are able to learn all those skills. So when they get ready to touch a real patient, they're pretty confident in what they've learned. Um, and it's, it's actually quite a lot of fun to be in there um, with the students and, and, uh, and kind of putting the students through their paces of what is it like to be in a real operating room. We can push the limits um, of the patient of becoming unstable and, and ensuring that the student can react um, <clears throat> quickly in, in, a, in a safe environment where we're not hurting a real patient. So you can have that crisis situation and do that crisis over and over again if need be. We can. We can put the patient, you know, we can have the patients go in, into cardiac arrest. We can have the, the simulated patient, um, you know, have a massive bleed. Um, we can have the simulated patient be a trauma patient um, and have those students quickly think on their feet. And the nice thing about it is, is that you can, after the scenarios, you can debrief and talk about it. And so the students have an opportunity to discuss the case, what they would have done better, um, what they would have done differently, what they, they did well, because a lot of times the students do well, so we celebrate when they do really well. Um, so it does provide the students that confidence before they go into the operating room and touch a real patient that, hey, I can do this because I've done it in the simulation lab. I've been put through my paces. Um, and so they feel confident when they go into the hospital. Great. I know one of the barriers for addressing the healthcare workforce shortage is the lack of available faculty. Have you seen that at Mary Baldwin? Um, so we very, I've been very lucky in the, in the nurse anesthesiology program, we, I've been able to recruit some really great faculty. Um, so um, I have currently two faculty, Dr. Jen McPherson, um, who is uh, a Navy. She was a retired uh, Navy uh, nurse anesthetist who actually did a few deployments overseas, and she's actually simulation certified. And so she runs our simulation lab, and she's basically the brains behind our simulation lab and getting our simulation lab off of the ground. Um, our other faculty, Dr. Derek Owens, also retired military, Navy CRNA, um, is fellowship trained in, uh, in acute pain management. Um, so I've been very lucky to have recruited two really wonderful uh, nurse anesthetists, but there is a shortage of faculty across the country. And one of the things in nursing that we're struggling with is we have a nursing shortage. We want to increase enrollment in our nursing program. So unfortunately, we don't have enough faculty. Um, at Mary Baldwin University, like I mentioned, we have been very lucky that we have been able to recruit um, really great faculty in our nursing programs. What else should we know about the Mary Baldwin College of Health Sciences? 
I think it's a wonderful, wonderful college. Um, besides the nurse anesthesiology program in the School of Nursing, we also have uh, two nurse practitioner programs. We have a family nurse practitioner program, and we also have an acute care nurse practitioner program. program. Um, we have an RN to BSN program, which these are registered nurses who are associates, uh, degree prepared nurses who come back to get their bachelor's degree. Um, and then we also have a post MSN DMP program. And this is, um, these are advanced practice nurses that have a master's degree that want to come back to complete their doctorate. So their doctor of nursing practice. We also have some other really great programs too. We have our physician assistant program. Uh, occupational therapy, uh, physical therapy program um, at, at Murphy Deming. Great. And is there financial aid available for students as well? Yes. So all of our students are eligible uh, for financial aid um, uh, through the uh, through Mary Baldwin uh, University. Um, there are also um, some some students that may be eligible for uh, various scholarships that many organizations uh, across the country offer. And we do make those uh, available to our students. If a high school student was thinking about health professions as a career, what advice would you give that person? I think that finding a good mentor is really, really important. I think for myself, I was very lucky that I had nurses in my family who were able to mentor me into healthcare. But if, if there's a high school student that wants to get into healthcare, and I think sometimes many of them say, I want to go into healthcare, but I don't know what field I want to go into, is finding a great mentor. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that is by volunteering at hospitals. Um, I also was, I also did that. I also was a volunteer uh, you know, they call them like the candy stripers at the hospital. You go in and you pass out the newspaper or you, you know, do things um, that the hospital needs you to do. And in that way, I was able to be exposed to all different types of fields in nursing. In nursing, um, I was able to be exposed to physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, physician assistants. And so in that aspect, I was able to see what each profession did. And then I, and then I was able to decide um, what path I wanted to take. But really connecting with a mentor or somebody in healthcare that can guide you through that process is very important. And those early volunteer opportunities, you know, can really lead to big things. I know one situation where a woman was the CEO of a hospital where she had started as a candy stripper as a teen. So you just never know. Yes, you just never know. Um, I think for me as a Personally, it afforded me an opportunity to be in that healthcare environment and really learn um, what healthcare is about and learn from, you know, and I was able to pick the brains of many of the nurses on the unit. When I would go onto the unit and they would tell me to go pass out the newspaper, I would go into the patient rooms and I would talk to the patients, but then I would also talk to the nurses and pick their brains about nursing and what did they love about it, what did they dislike. I also got great recommendations about which programs to apply to. So it really makes a difference. So last question, question I ask all my guests. Yes. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? 
I would, if I could magically snap my fingers and increase the number of nurses, um, I think that would make me really, really happy. We have such a shortage of nurses, um, in, in, especially in rural America, because we tend to suffer a little bit more because people, you don't have as big of a population in more rural communities. Um, and so we need more nurses. And I'm going to add, you asked me for one, but I'm going to add for two. Um, I also think um, more mental health services. I think COVID-19 um, um, put a real stress on nurses. Um, nurses were really entrenched in the worst of COVID-19. They were at the bedside taking care of these patients. Um, and they saw a lot of patients die. And, um, and so a lot of these nurses are really dealing with the aftermath of all of that. And so increasing the number of nurses, but also providing them some really good mental health services to help them get through this is really, really important. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Newman. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks to Dr. Johanna Newman with her desire for more nurses and behavioral health services to support those nurses. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, check us out online at vrha.org. The Rural Health Voice is a podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.